Happy Wednesday, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. Before we get to today's special guest, here's a quick reminder. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you like what you hear in today's episode, consider leaving us a quick rating or review. With that said, we're really excited to have our latest guest join us on the Frarian Smith Podcast. Harry Lyles Jr. graduated from Georgia State in 2014 with a degree in journalism. He started his professional career at SB Nation, where he served as the senior NFL news desk writer, eventually earning a promotion to staff writer in April of 2018. He left for ESPN in March of 2020, where he is approaching his three-year anniversary with the worldwide leader in sports. He's the co-host of Countdown to Game Day Live alongside Christine Williamson and Harry Douglas. He Not only does Harry serve as the sideline reporter for ESPN's Thursday night college football game with Matt Berry and former NFL safety Lewis Riddick, he also regularly appears on multiple studio shows, including a longtime ESPN staple around the horn. Plus, Caden, he's the reason that this podcast came about. He was a driving force in getting us two together. Tell us a little bit more about what we heard in this interview from Harry. Harry's a great guy. He's been someone who's mentored me in my career coming up. And I know that the people are going to be very excited to hear this conversation. We talked big picture about some of the things happening in college football. We kind of narrowed it down to talk about some of the things happening in the Sun Belt and the group of five level. And Harry's just, he's a stadium savant. He's in a different stadium week after week. He's constantly around the game and just has a great pulse of what's going on. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with the one and only ESPN's Harry Lyles Jr. Harry, thanks so much for joining us on the Frarian Smith Podcast. What most of our listeners don't know is if I hadn't met you back in July, this podcast probably wouldn't have become a thing. So thanks for joining us here in December. Anytime, guys. It's uh, cool to see this thing happen. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. I mean, obviously, we met in late July at Sunbelt Football Media Days, uh, launched this in early September, and this is episode 42. So it's it's been a wild ride. But Harry, we wanted to just ask you for your overall kind of perspective on the Sun Belt this year. I know that you and ESPN spend a lot more time covering the Power Five, but being around game day, you obviously get a lot of uh, information about the Group of Five, the Sun Belt in particular. Uh, it's been a great year in the league, but just wanted to gain your perspective. Look, I mean, to me, the funniest thing about the Sun Belt this year, man, especially, you know, no, obviously you were at Media Day, is we ta- spent so much time talking about the East, right? And then here comes Troy uh, to many people out of nowhere, but not really out of nowhere. They were still picked, I think, third in the West, which I I think in hindsight, obviously is wrong. Um, But the fact that they have come out of this when most people were talking about App State, they were talking about Coastal, right? Like basically in just how stacked the East is and was right for them to come out on top of this conference when and I, it's weird because the way people were speaking about them after they beat Coastal was a whole lot of like, well, why weren't they ranked this entire time? Which is a great question because their first loss was to Ole Miss. And I think the only other loss was to App State. And I think that that was a one score game. We're going to ask you um, about both of those losses later on in this episode. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it just didn't give them give them their due. So like to me, yeah, like they probably should have been ranked the entire time. But that is my biggest takeaway is that like for as much talk as there was around basically everybody else in the conference for it to be so strong that Troy comes out on top of it still, even though I understand, you know, there were injury issues with Coastal and things like that to me speaks to the strength of the, the league. 
And I'm an App State guy. Everyone knows that. So even if we can't talk about how great and impressive the West was, you know, I'm going to always bring it back to App State. But going there as a, as a player, never thought in a million years we'd see college game day. And you got to go there and experience that and cover it. And that was the first time we got to thankfully meet. Just tell us about that college game day experience and the uniqueness of a town like Boone. You know, like you have an idea of how these things are going to go at every place that you go to before you actually go there. And I knew that Boone was going to be at the very worst tied for the best place that we had all season. And as cool as like Montana was right. And being in Bozeman and all that type of stuff like that. Like I still say that Boone, in my opinion, was the coolest one just because the place is beautiful. Right. As you know, and that was the biggest thing in town the entire week. And just the way that everybody showed up, showed out the energy, right? Because I think that's something that a lot of people don't consider with game days. You can have a lot of people there. And I won't name names or schools of places or anything like that. But like there's places where we've had a lot of people and not a lot of noise, right? And with Boone, everybody showed up and everybody was loud. That was the most fun morning, I think, that we had all season and just to see that come to fruition um and, and just the 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 way that app has developed since that went over michigan and to have game day there in that spot and mind you and, and i think reese said this on the college game day podcast where they thought that we were go- we were we thought we were going to a and m until they be- until they lost that game app not only beat them they grabbed game day and said give me that and we went to Boone instead. I thought that was just the coolest thing all season. Can definitely co-sign with a lot of stuff you said there. I mean, the people of Boone, they love football and they love App State football more than anything. And I was in town on Friday and you can kind of just feel it. It was the talk of the town. You could feel kind of everybody getting into the town and it really getting crowded. But you had to hit the road and you missed the Miracle on the Mountain part too. You missed the Hail Mary finish, which I think I me and Noah, that was probably our favorite part of the weekend. Did you have some regret? Did you just, how was the hindsight after missing that amazing last play of the game? <sighs> You know, I did hate that I missed that, but you know, that was like the first Georgia State football game I was able to go to in like two years. So like as much as I did not like that I missed that, it was still cool to be able to go back on my old stomping grounds and be able to check them out. Uh, So, you know, if I would have missed that for anything else, I probably would have been much more upset than I was. Yeah, that I think is hilarious. And, you know, that kind of leads us into our next question. Obviously, you are a Georgia State alum, um, and we kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on the direction of that program, you know, what it's going to take to build that program into a consistent winner in, in an environment where fan base is a little tough down there and they're playing in a huge, you know, a huge stadium. Uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on Georgia State. I think Coach Elliott's got it where it needs to be. I I know this year was a little bit, you know, perhaps disappointing compared to where, you know, people thought things were going to be. But I think he's got the right temperament. I think he's got the right demeanor. Um, And plus, like, I think it's easy to forget that program is 12 years old. Like my freshman year at Georgia State was their first year of football. And the fact that they've had as much success that they've had up to this point, to me, is incredible. And I, I think that people tend to sort of forget that, um, you know, especially just as you see the way that some of these other universities are, are building up their programs and the pace at which they go, like Kennesaw State is kind of doing a similar thing. Obviously, we've seen the way that JMU has come up, which you want to talk about incredible stories like, my goodness gracious, I don't know that on a national level that we spoke about that in the way that we probably should have just with how impressive that move was and how good they were. 
this year, right? Like to me, that is another story in the conference where it's like, did we talk about that enough? But with Georgia State, look, man, like, you know, you're competing with a bunch in state. Um, again, young program. I think Sean's got that in a spot where, you know, look, perhaps it's not where you wanted it to be this year, but I think he's got it in a place where over time it'll be something that is consistently good enough to what it should be given how young that program still is. Yeah, and Sean, it's obviously in good hands, I think, with Sean. And even when they had the 0-4 start, me and Noah were talking our, on our podcast about how that's maybe probably the, the best 0-4 team in the conference, in the in the country maybe even. And I think staying on the East a little bit, you also got to spend some time in Coastal Carolina this year covering the App State Coastal game. Could you just tell us about that place as well and the environment and atmosphere there? Because that's just one of the other gems really in the Sunbelt Conference as far as a stadium environment and a culture. It's incredible, man. I like we we really couldn't get enough of that. I, I think like we showed up and we just spent like the first like 30 minutes of getting to that field and just walking around and taking it all in. I, I mean, like it's really one thing to see whether it is in the Sun Belt or really anywhere else in the country, like see all these different places, um, you know, that play college football, because that's the beauty of the sport to me. Right. Is we all love this this one thing. We all do it differently, though, right? Like, this is done. How many teams are in FBS? 131 now. Like, we all do this 131 different ways. And to me, that is just, like, the coolest thing. So, so to sort of see that in these different environments, especially, you know, in these with these Sunbelt teams is so unique to me. And just the way that the passion comes out differently with fans, I think, is something that most people don't consider, right? Like, and this is a non-Sunbelt example, but when we were at Oregon, um, I was talking to Harry Douglas about this where I was like, man, there's a lot of people here, right? Like they're excited for the game and stuff like that, but it doesn't feel like this is going to ruin their day, right? Like if, if we were at Ole Miss, if, if we were at Georgia, like there's going to be a level of anxiety there where it's like, if this doesn't go right, this is going to ruin my day, right? Like when we were in Eugene, it was like, oh, we're all excited to go to this football game but that's about it. Right. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing necessarily. Right. But like, I would say when you go to a coastal, when you go to an app, you feel more of that sec energy where it's like, Oh no, this can ruin your afternoon pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I think the other thing that Conway and coastal Carolina have going for it. And as a sideline reporter, you would probably echo this. The, the student section is insane down there. Like the beer Mm -hmm. is flowing long before kickoff and you know, it's, it's a lot of fun in that environment. Now, obviously I looked back on your schedule. You, you went to Lafayette for a Louisiana game back in week three last year, Boone in week four, and then Conway this season. We just wanted to ask you of those three that you've been in, which one maybe has been your favorite stadium, the best environment that you've been a part of. I think it's gotta be Conway. Um, that the, the environment and just how the proximity of everything is incredible that teal turf is incredible the way the light bounces off of it perhaps might not be the best but like it's still such a cool environment um and just the passion like those were some of the rowdiest fans i think that we had all season long like that includes the egg bowl right that includes uh memphis like which wasn't necessarily the best environment but like you could still see the people that showed up there man like they they care about that um so like to me it's it's definitely Conway. Like that is something different. And if you know, you're listening to this and you've never experienced that, like put that on your bucket list for next year. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty sick. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, having been someone that's experienced it as a fan. And I know Caden had a, a big play that he loves to talk about down on the goal line where he nearly swung a game in their, in App State's favor. But uh, <laughs> he, he loves to talk about that. Um, you know, Harry, I wanted to ask you, you know, you kind of alluded to it early on in this podcast, but you have in the Sun Belt this year, you have two teams that are 10 win teams. You have a nine win program. You have seven bowl eligible teams. And, you know, if you bring a James Madison in and even an App State who got to six, uh, six wins, there's nine teams with six wins. But yet it took us all the way until the end of the year to finally see a team ranked in the college football playoff rankings. Just wanted to get your thoughts on maybe what led to that. And is there changes and things that the Sun Belt needs to do moving forward to get more national attention, more national recognition? I think the Sun Belt's on the right track, especially in terms of, you know, the way that realignment is sort of reshaping things. The Sun Belt is doing the one thing that is kind of like, well, the one thing that people love about the sport that the sport is losing. And it's those regional rivalries, right? Like you have now Marshall against App. Like, I don't think people nationally realize like how big of a deal that game is. Like when we did that game last year. Like you could feel that hatred in that stadium. Like that is an absolute real thing. You get Georgia State, Georgia Southern, right? Like you get Troy, USA, like those those games matter. And the fact that they're able to do that to me is huge. And I think that that will probably resonate on national stage more so as, you know, just the years kind of progress. And, you know, we start losing some of these regional power five rivalries and that people get familiarity with the teams in the league in general, because I do feel like a lot of people are still kind of getting up to speed with that. Like I was very surprised this year to see how many people still viewed app as like this little Cinderella story this year, like when they beat AM. Like I think and Caden, you'd know this, man. Like, like if you follow college football and you know, or you played it or like whatever, like at beating AM was like cool and like surprising, but not like shock. I mean, to me, that wasn't like a shocking thing, right? Like it would be completely different if, like, I don't know, man, like Monroe beat freaking Texas AM or something like that. You know what I'm saying? But like there's a pedigree at app. You know what I mean? Like it would have been the same thing if like Georgia Southern would have beaten like Georgia Southern beat Nebraska. Like that was cool, but I wasn't like, oh my gosh, like this is mind blowing because like there's a pedigree. At Georgia Southern. So, like, I think the more education that people kind of get on that, like, you'll see some of that sort of, like, mend. And so you'll see Sunbelt teams, I think, get the sort of benefit of the doubt that American athletic conference teams are getting sort of right now. Like, I think that probably should be flipped. Um, and that's no disrespect to the AAC. Like, that's a great conference. I think if you've watched Tulane play five minutes of football, if you've watched, you know, uh, UCF play five minutes of football in the right quarter – uh, like you would know, like those are teams that on their best, they could beat any team in the, not any team in the power five, but you know what I mean? Like the, the teams outside of like the top five in football, like that's just, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Um, and I think that just over time, the Sunbelt will probably get there with that respect. Harry, one of the biggest changes in college football has been the transfer portal and it opened up on Monday and there's, I think we saw today, there's over a thousand people in there already. Just first of all, what are your thoughts on the new college football era with the transfer portal and with so many guys in there right now? Do you think we could see possibly a trickle down of some of that talent now to these Sunbelt conferences, to these group of five conferences with there being so much power five talent kind of now hitting the portal? Yeah, I do think you'll see a trickle down on that. Um, and I do think that's something that'll kind of work itself out I think statistically the past few years, the percentage of guys that have actually found a new home has gone down every single year. 
Um, and I know people like have certain feelings about it, both positively and negatively to me, like, I don't personally like calling it the wild, wild west or whatever we're doing with that. Like that feels like code to me, to be honest with you. Like I do think, is it a little bit like loose and kind of crazy? Like, yeah, but also like, I don't really see a problem if a kid wants to find a new opportunity, if it's truly the right thing for him. Like, I think honestly, kids should be allowed to make those sort of mistakes because they are mistakes in a lot of cases. But, um, you know, I think if you look sort of, especially with like this newer generation and newer, newer era, you have a lot of guys and you, you've seen this more in college basketball where a lot of guys are told you are the man, you are God's gift to the game and there's nothing that you can do wrong. It's the coach's fault. It's the assistant's fault. It's this fault, like, and stuff like that. And I think with four and higher five, or I'm sorry, higher four stars and five stars, you've seen that energy trickle down to guys that are lower ranked players and they sort of have that five star energy. Right. And then they get that heat check and then they sort of realize like, okay, maybe I do need to accept some coaching here, things like that. But in terms of like a broad feeling about it, like I, I personally don't have a problem with it again. Like I feel like it's one of those things that over time we will have the statistics to show that, Hey, like this is the right move. If you're this caliber player, this is the right move. If you're that caliber of player. Um, and I do think you will see a lot of guys who are probably overranked in the recruiting process, probably end up at some of these, you know, group of five schools and end up having great careers because sometimes you do need to build up, you know, yourself, whether it's as a player or as a person and end up in the right position. I mean, we see players like that all the time. Um, you know, at all different levels of football. So, um, to me, it's, is it, you know, a little, uh, loose right now? Yes. Do I think it's a massive problem that is going to kill the game? No. Yeah. I think that's some great perspective. And I know Caden and I have spent a lot of time talking about the transfer portal from the perspective of it does create good opportunities for guys. I mean, you look at a guy like Chase Bryce, who you covered earlier this year, who, you know, goes to Duke and then ends up at App State and now has a chance to be drafted. But even as we've seen him on Twitter the last couple of weeks, you also have to look at the transfer portal as a cautionary tale. There are guys who will enter that portal that are never going to come out of that portal um, simply because there's not enough roster spots in college football. And I think that's what that's what we're seeing. But I think, I mean, you look at a guy like Joe Burrow in the SEC who, you know, totally creates a new career and is now one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, so I think it's a great thing for college football. There might need to be some guardrails in the long run. But for right now, to me, this is creating opportunities uh, for guys. I just think that probably schools need to do a better job at explaining to these guys some of the dangers maybe of the portal. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, and I think, too, you know, just with it in terms of the potential that it does have for guys, like some guys genuinely end up in the wrong position because like, dude, you're making a decision when you're 17, 18 years old. Right. Like how many things y'all do when you were 17, 18 years old where you're like, you know what? I probably could have made a better choice than that. Imagine if you're going to play college football, which is essentially the minor leagues, right, of the NFL. And are the chances that you make the wrong choice high? Hell yeah. So, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. I don't think it has to be a perfect art like a lot of people want it to try to kind of make it out to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think that's some great perspective. Um, you know, obviously another big thing going on in college football right now, Harry, is the expansion of the playoff to 12 teams. Um, 
And I think, Caden and I just wanted to gain your perspective of how does that help the group of five uh, in terms of representation at the national level? Um, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's obviously good, right? I mean, because you're going to have a guaranteed spot in there. Um, now, as far as just like determining an overall champion, having more teams involved does not make me feel better about the process. It just doesn't. I like I, like college football to me has always been, you know, like super talent heavy at the top. And then everybody else is just kind of playing football. And that's not a, necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. Like, that's kind of like why, you know, the Rose Bowl has its glamour. Like, playing in a Sugar Bowl has its own mystique to it in Orange Bowl, whatever. Like, even we were talking about some of the smaller bowl games um, and how much they mean to certain places, like a Sun Bowl. Like, that means a lot to specific places. Um, and to me, I think we've lost some of that with the expansion. Now, I don't necessarily think it's bad. I think at this point, if you're rather go, or if you're going to have four or twelve, you're probably better off having twelve because you've already lost the mystique of the New Year's Six, in my opinion. So if you're going to do that, just lean into it at that point. And yeah, like let's get the group five in here and have the best teams compete. Um, but in terms of like, do I need a, a twelve or a sixteen team format to help me ultimately feel better about my national champion, which is probably going to be Georgia, Alabama, or Ohio State? The answer to that question is no. <laughs> no, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said, Harry. I think when I, in my head, when I was thinking expansion, I always thought 12 was a little too much and college football is very top heavy. I'll never forget when we played Georgia the year they went to the national championship and it was week one and we were like, these guys are moving a little bit different than we blink and they're in the national championship. So I think there is a ch chance and possibility that we can get to these 12 teams and still kind of see the same four that we see year in and year out. But group of five or power five aside, you're going to, you go to a lot of stadiums, you visit a lot of places, and there's been talks of possibly having some of these schools be able to host these first-round playoff games in the future. Do you support that? And what do you think that would just look like for some of these big-name programs, some of these smaller schools as well, if they reach into the playoffs? Because you've been to college game day and you've seen those environments, but a home playoff game would be a first thing within itself that we could see mm -hmm. here in the future. I think that'd be awesome. Um, and honestly, like I feel like that's just, if we're doing this, like that's kind of just like how it should be done. But then... Again, like you're going to lose a Rose Bowl. You're going to lose the Orange Bowl. You're like, you're going to lose these games because like, what are you going to do? Like, you're just going to like not send like, what are you, you going to send like the third or fourth best team then from the Big Ten to the Rose Bowl? Like who's the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten this year? Like Minnesota? Purdue, maybe. Like, would you send <laughs> Purdue? Yeah, yeah, Purdue. Like you're going to send Purdue to the Rose Bowl this year, which like, you know, that's no shade to Purdue, but you went eight four, eight five this year after the, after the uh, Big Ten championship game to the Rose Bowl. Which, like, I, you know, I don't really think they would necessarily care about that because they care about everything else that kind of revolves around that game. But again, you kind of lose the mystique of the bowls, which was kind of part of the pageantry of college football and why you love this game in the first place. But the like possibility of playing like an on site, you know, on campus game in the playoff, like if they did that, you imagine like, you know, doing that at Alabama and like how nuts that place would go, right? which is like sick to me. But then like the other caveat of that is like, if you try to do that in Columbus, Ohio state is going to choose to play in Lucas oil stadium 10 times out of 10. Um, and so like, to me, that's you lose sort of like the, the edge of that a little bit. Like if they kind of took away that option, I wouldn't be mad at that though. I also think that that would sort of be a little bit unrealistic um, just from like a weather perspective. Cause I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever played football on like a cold turf. I don't care how many rubber pellets they put in that thing, man, that stinks. Like, <laughs> Like, that's not fun. So, you know, 
I think it's good. I, and again, and I think something that we got to remember too, when it comes to all this is there's no perfect answer. We're never going to get this right, man. Like all three of us here are going to go old, grow old and gray and all that nonsense. And they still not going to have this thing figured out, man. They just, they just aren't, um, which is kind of the beauty of it, right? Because we get to do this, we get to debate it and, you know, talk about the possibilities and things like that. Um, however, just broadly having a playoff game at, literally any college football stadium is incredible. I think that's going to be insane. Yeah, I mean, I, I could uh, not agree with you more. Uh, but like you said, I think so much of this has just become media talking points. It's something, you know, mm-hmm. it's a way for ESPN to create a four hour show on a Sunday afternoon to talk about college football playoffs. Uh, so, yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, Harry, we wanted to ask you about a moment in your career that happened last year. And it was kind of, you know, a moment that you've become famous for. You interviewed Billy Napier after a game, I believe it was in week three or might have been during the game. Um, but he had, you know, probably one of the best quotes that we've heard in a long time in college football, scared money, don't make money. Um, when did you know that that moment was going to go as viral as it did? When he said it, I was like, oh, buddy. <laughs> like, I just knew when when he said that, I was like, all right, well, people are going to like eat that up. But I didn't realize like it was going to be um, as popular as it was. And, you know, Louisiana making T-shirts out of it. And I think Florida's made T-shirts out of it and stuff like that. I was just asking him, you know, about going forward on fourth down, which I thought was like a the smartest question to ask at the time. He just so happened to 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 put his herbs and spices on it and it became a thing. Like, you know, like to me, if you're asking the right questions, you're gonna get good answers and he gave me a great one. And I mean it's pretty as simple as that, really. Uh, Coach Napier is definitely a good dude. Just watching his Louisiana team go from a team that we literally used to destroy to them being a team that was mm-hmm. beating us a conference championship. I definitely have some faith in what he has going on in Florida. But last thing we have for you, Harry, and if anyone turns on their TV at ESPN in that late afternoon window, they can catch you on Around the Horn. And that 20th anniversary episode's coming up on December 13th. And I know me and Noah were talking off air just about how we grew up on that show and watching it. And it's just cool even knowing someone that's associated and on the show. What's it been like just working with guys like Tony Reality, people like Jackie McMullen and Jay Adande on that show and just the process of of being there and being present and being on a show that you probably grew up on? Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool, man. Like there's, you know, everything that I've done at ESPN has been like cool. Like this is not something that like I ever really considered I wouldn't do. Like I always just kind of came up and I'm like, I like sports. I want to be involved in sports in some f- shape or form, right? Whether you're playing them, talking about them, like whatever. Like I never grew up and I was like, I want to be the best like numbers crunching accountant on the planet, right? Like that's never been like something I, I've never said I wanted to do anything else. I've always wanted to be involved in sports, always grew up watching, you know, news, media, sports, television, all that type of stuff like that, right? Um, and so obviously naturally like every day, especially when you're a kid, man, like you take the scoring of a show like that a lot more seriously when you're young, Right. Because like, you know, you just don't know any better. Right. And so, I mean, I vividly remember literally watching the first episode of that show when Max Kellerman was hosting. Right. And all that kind of stuff. Um, And just through the years, man, dropping the book bag as soon as you walk in the house and turning on ESPN and watching that and watching PTI. Um, And just to be a part of that is like so cool, man. Like it truly is like I, I never I never try to like, you know, stick my chest out and be like, Oh, well, you know, this is just what I do. Like, nah, man, like that is cool. Like I genuinely like love doing that. Like I love doing what I do. Um, and Tony reality is exactly the way he is on television. Like that is one of the nicest dudes that you will ever meet. Like 
Um, and everybody on the show is cool to work with. There's not one, I can genuinely say there's not one person on the show that I do not like. I enjoy, I think some of them have terrible opinions sometimes, but like everybody's nice, right? Like everybody's cool. I get along with everybody and it's just like such an honor to be a part of that. Um, and you know, obviously like, I think for me, like I was way too lazy as a kid to ever like play sports at a high level. Like I figured out like when it was far too late. So like that work ethic I put towards all of this and like for me, this is going to sound incredibly corny and I also don't care. Uh, like for me, certain doing certain things at ESPN have felt like to me, my version of making it to the pros, right? Like being on sports center, doing around the horn, uh, the sideline stuff is not something I had envisioned for myself, but that also turned into that. Um, and then some of the other stuff that I've got coming up, like I'll be doing like the Heisman red carpet this upcoming Saturday. Like to me that, that I can't wrap my head around that. Um, and so to me, just to be a part of something like around the horn and up getting ready to do this. I mean, we already taped it, but like the 20th anniversary show um, is unreal. Like I remember getting up that morning to do like my first around the horn and like sitting in that chair and you're looking into the monitor and you see all the, you know, the different panelists and you see the different, you know, colors of the different regions and stuff like that. And like, it, it's just, there's nothing like it, man. Like I genuinely am just so grateful for like all the opportunities that I've gotten everybody that I've been able to work with at ESPN and, and, you know, just how kind everybody's been. Um, and I, do not take a single day of any of this for granted, man. Like it's really cool. Even beyond around the horn, just every week, man, like it's exhausting. I really don't think people understand how much goes into all the different things that I do um, and how much time and effort it takes. Um, but to see different places every week of campuses and things like that, that you only grow up seeing on TV and experiencing all that every time or every week for the first time is unreal. And like, I just feel incredibly fortunate to have those opportunities. Um, and nobody knows this until I'm about to say this now, but like, I was like five minutes late getting on this podcast because I was talking to a student trying to help them get to the same place that I'm at. Um, and I always try to make sure that I give that back, man, because I wish everybody could experience that feeling. Well, you know, I can definitely echo that. I know in my career and in Caden's career, there's been so many people, um, you know, that have helped us get to that point. So it's definitely important. Caden, I know you had another thought. No, I just wanted to say the same thing. I wanted to thank Harry because I know he's done that for me and he had a lot of great opinions on this pod and you can tell how much he cares about his craft and cares about this. You don't have to worry about ever getting muted on here like you would on Around the Horn, but we just <laughs> wanted to thank you. We wanted to thank you, Harry, for having you on the podcast, for you being the unifying force of this podcast. We really appreciate it and we definitely have to have you back on here sometime. No, I'm definitely happy to come back, man. And you guys are doing a great job with it. Like keep keep doing your thing, man. Like it's, you guys are you guys are on your way, like well on your way. Okay, and I got to admit, I will not mind recording a podcast five minutes late at all. If it's a guy like Harry who is taking some time to mentor young journalists and help them grow in the field, I think that's really neat and speaks to just the, the good head that he has on his shoulder. I also really enjoyed in that episode where he talked about those fans in Conway because I know you and I have both experienced that. They are a ruckus fan base, and despite the you know departure of Jamie Chadwell, I would expect that tradition to continue in Conway. 
No, it's great to have a guy like Harry on the ground at these Sunbelt schools and just giving a great idea and painting a picture to some of these people about what those crowds and environments are like. Because I know playing it, I've seen it all, but not everyone has that experience to go and see it for themselves. And the fact that Harry can tell those stories and maybe inspire some of our listeners or some people out there to go out to these games, support the Sunbelt Conference and see it for themselves is great. So he's a great ambassador for not only college football, but for the Sunbelt Conference as well, just like we are. And I think that if he was making some of these rules, maybe if he was the one pulling the strings with the transfer portal and some of these playoff decisions, maybe college football would be a little bit better of a place with a guy like that in charge. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Well, that will do it for another great episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Harry Lyles Jr. for helping make this interview happen. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with a special mailbag episode on Friday. Caden, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, you and I are both going to answer questions about Sunbelt football, and we did want to say if you have a question, make sure to direct message the at Frarian Smith Twitter account or drop a comment on our recent post about that mailbag episode. We're both looking forward to answering your questions. Again, thanks for taking time to listen today. If you like what you heard on this episode of the Frarian Smith podcast, don't forget to subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss another episode. And if you'd be so kind, consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We always love hearing what you all think about the show. Finally, take a moment to follow the show on our Twitter page at Prairie and Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. 